Okay, we are January 15th at 10 a.m. Eastern. Ruth and Nick recording lesson 3.3, food. Three, two, one. Good morning, foot nerds, or afternoon or evening, wherever you are. Welcome back. This is lesson 3.3, food. We want to thank you for taking full responsibility for your health. We appreciate that, and so does the world around you. We, in today's lesson, we're going to unpack food, big old topic, and we, as always, want you to know that if you have questions or you want to contribute a layer two conversation, you can message us on Slack. Otherwise, should we dig in, Nikki? Let's dig in. And yeah, I think this is a a really um, big opportunity for layer two conversations because there's a lot of contextual nuance and different experiences with food, all of which are equally valid. Um, And so I think today, you know, we covered in 2.1, we covered first principles and we used the metaphor of the tree of understanding. And so for this lesson, we're going to do our best to stick to the trunk and the branches, which represent principles and heuristics. Um, Because I think with food, it's very easy to get caught up in the specifics, Um, you know, what we call the leaves in that metaphor. And so, you know, we feel that everyone has to discover their own leaves through exploration and experimentation. Um, And the reality is that humans are incredible adapters and are capable of a massively wide variety of diets, uh, all of which can be good for our health or not good for our health, depending on context, right? Like everything from eating only meat to eating only grains and everything in between. And so today we want to unpack some of the foundational principles about food. Um, and we look forward to listening to a lot of layer two conversations between nerds who want to share their experience. So, yeah, let's get at it. Let's get at it. All right. Maybe a good place to start is, um, and this seems to be a common trend and I think it's important is just defining some terms. So let's start with, um, defining food. What is food? Uh, and Ruth, I'd love to hear your take uh, on how you, like, what is your internal definition of food? If someone says, what is food? What would you say? I would say there's two, there's two components in my definition of food. And the number one is the scientific model, right? Like food is the products that we ingest that are broken down into nutrients that our cells can use for building blocks, repair and rejuvenation. And then there's the um, social component of food. So there's like There's like the actual nutrients we consume that our bodies utilize. And then there's the how of food. So like how, how we eat the food and how we like the state of mind that we're in when we eat the food. So, um, and I think you, you touched on something that's really important, which I always think about like the wide varieties. We live in a time right now, unprecedented, where we have access to every possible exotic, excuse me, variety of food source, fruits, vegetables, meats, like we can get anything we want at any time Mm. for very low, you know, prices. And so we've in in the past, like we ate what was physically around us, whether it was like digging around for tubers or hunting meats and stuff. So it only seems like very common sense that, that there's a huge variety of diet styles that could sustain us and keep us healthy. Yeah. Side note. I love your backdrop. 
with all yes. the fruits and veggies. <laughs> very, uh, very yes. food-esque today in the, in the Ruth O'Donnell I, studio. I purposely, I purposely put that together for our viewing <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, I think, you know, that's a really good point that there's like the social component and then there's the um, like more concrete component of the nutrients we, we consume. And one definition I looked up is any nutritious substance uh, consumed that are absorbed in order to maintain life and growth. Um, now there's a lot of ambiguous terms there, right? Nutritious. What does nutritious mean? Um, mm-hmm. uh, what is, what, you know, how do we define maintaining life and growth? And I think one of the biggest distinctions that I found really helpful to give me clarity within the food pillar, um, is this whole notion of real food, right? Like what is like we, okay. Food meaning like anything you can put in your mouth or food, meaning like something that's actually nutritious for us. And so, you know, real food defined as substances created by nature that our human biology is designed to digest. And, you know, I think sometimes people get, and and I've done this in the past where I just viewed food as energy, right? Like I need energy to function. Therefore I need a caloric intake in order to fuel my body, just like I put gas in my car. Um, But one thing that I sort of underestimated was that all these diverse nutrients that are in our food are not just fuel, but they're also information. And our body uses that information to determine, um, you know, like what signals we get in order to determine different functions in our body. So food is not just fuel, it's also information. And if you give your body the wrong information, it's not going to function very well. And that can result Mm -hmm. in disease. It can result in breakdowns. It can result in a vast array of metabolic disorders that we tend to just zone in on and say, oh, there's this problem. Here's the solution. But we don't backtrack enough to say like, how did we get into that problem? Like what poor information was given to this body for it to go so astray from optimal function. And so food is information, not just nutrients uh, or not just fuel. Uh, It's basically a set of programming instructions for our body. And if you give your body poor inputs, it's going to create poor outputs. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We're back to the said principle, right? Right. Exactly. Specific adaptation adaptation to, Mm -hmm. yep. To impose demand. Um, and so this distinction of food and food, like products, things that we can put in our mouth that often taste really good, but might not be actual food. Um, you know, like consuming factory designed food, I think is an example of disconnection from nature, right? Like Mm -hmm. I, I really think that life eats life, right? Like things that are living are consumed by other living things, those nutrients and, um, tissues are then incorporated into the form of life that consumed that form, the other form of life. And so, you know, this whole distinction of food that is alive and high vibration and created by nature versus food that is kind of like dead, low vibration made in a factory. Um, I really think that that distinction for me has been really helpful because it really makes it very easy to sort of make wise choices when it comes to food, like eat real food and you're probably going to be okay. And really tune into the feedback mechanisms of your body to tell you whether you're eating too much of a certain type, too much in terms of overall quantity. Um, But overall, just saying like, let's focus on distinguishing real food from food like products um, and empower people to eat more real food as time goes on and eat less food like products. I think that's a really good foundational principle for the uh, pillar of food. Yeah. And that I think. I mean, like, this is a, might be a good time to just talk about, like, you know, you touched on how our bodies are designed to eat food from the natural world. 
and then you and then you bring up the principle of like eating real food whatever that means like food that has like when we say like high vibration this might be a good time just to illustrate a like some little examples i was thinking about when i was preparing for this lesson like all the different um opportunities I've had to participate in the different levels of farming practices, um, cattle and fowl and vegetables. And it's been from like living in cities and tending to a community garden to, you know, I've touched before on, on Matthew's family who were small chicken farmers um, where they had a hundred thousand chickens. And so I think this is an important point to bring up here about like size and um, history and how we came to where we are is a factor but like I, I blew my mind that a chicken farm of a hundred thousand chickens was a small a small farm and then That's the crazy. almond trees and the monocrops you know so like when we would go home I mean my, in, in our parents generation did what they were supposed to do they got handed down land and they were trying to do the the right things for their families and their future generations. And so they started to cultivate this, this land with chickens and almond trees. As the years went on and we would drive home to California through the Central Valley, where all the dairy farms are, I can't help but to be struck by like the sadness of like the lack of humans around. So there were like machines milking the cows and, you know, it, it makes you feel really viscerally sad and so um I, and the smells are not are not quite right and I think it's important to tune in to talk about just tuning into self-awareness because we would drive and we wouldn't talk because inside I wasn't sure like what Matthew was feeling we we're going home to his family farm but like there was just like a lack of human energy around like huge tractors and dust mm. and topsoil being eroded and then cows and I don't care what anybody says I've spent time in Normandy in France where the cows are grazing and beautiful land with these big beautiful eyes and they milk the cows by hand and the cows freaking look happy or ish or whatever um, and they jump like happy cows actually run and jump like dogs play I've seen that in real life. And then contrast that with driving through the country where the cows are machined, you know, farmed and lying in their own feces and all those chemicals and stuff like it has a visceral effect on your body. And then going back to like Santa Cruz, where we were living and participating in something, I wanted to bring up this little farm called the Homeless Garden Project, where it was a small group of farmers um, the, and this this piece of land was cultivated by the city in order to bring people um, <clears throat> who were homeless and give them a skill set. So they would train them for a year and they offered after a year, the people who were homeless could have a, a employable skill set. So we would volunteer, the community would volunteer and we would create tons of like the the women would not just the women, but primarily women would grow organic flowers and we would sell them at, at Winterfest and they would make honeys and soaps. And then the farmer who, the, the, who managed the entire farm was a guy who had been homeless and addicted to drugs and he was running the whole farm and we would go there and work with him and there was an outdoor kitchen and we would 
we would harvest the produce and some volunteers, I would love this part, we would cook in the outdoor kitchen and wash dishes together. And there was a whole, there were flowers and bees and chickens and goats and honey. And so when you have the opportunity to feel the example of what you say is high vibration, that's not that like term that people don't like to talk about, which is like woo or whatever, you know, it is life. It's truly what it means to be a part of connected to the world around us, you know, and I think that is such an important thing when it comes to self-awareness. So this was a bit of a, a, a veer off of the path of food, but I think it illustrates like how we as humans um, participate in truly in life and food is such a big part of that. So that's one of the reasons why I define food is not just the the stuff we consume, but the how that we participate in the whole big picture around it. Yeah, I don't think that veered off at all. I think that that's a really important point. Um, and it sort of gets at the, you know, it brings to mind this notion that the <clears throat> quality of your food, the health of your food can't be separated from the health of the chain um, that created that food, right? Like the nutrient density of the meat you get from a cow cannot be dissociated from the quality of life that cow lived. And I think we underestimate that. And this whole notion that we get machines to do the work that humans formerly did is essentially disconnecting us from the food chain um, and creating a much lower energy environment where that food is created. Therefore, it's not going to give us as many nutrients. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a couple lines that I teased out of the book Food Fix by Mar Dr. Mark Hyman that I think illustrates sort of the power of food on a, on a more, on a broad, within a broader context. Um, so I'm going to say a couple of those lines now. Our diet is the number one cause of death, disability, and suffering in the world. And that is a crazy, you know, like in this book, he did a ton of research. He did a, a lot of diving into deep statistics and like global research on food. And the fact that the food we eat is our number one cause of death, disability, and suffering in the world is pretty, it's pretty crazy to think of that. Um, he also writes that our food has dramatically transformed over the last hundred years and even more radically over the last 40 years, as we've eaten a diet of increasingly ultra processed foods made from a handful of crops, um, notably wheat, corn, and soy. And one, one sentence that he writes, which I found really powerful, he says that our most powerful tool to reverse the global epidemic of chronic disease heal our environment, reverse climate change, end poverty and injustice, reform politics and revive economies is food. The food we grow, how we grow it, and the food we eat have tremendous implications, not just for our wastelands, but for our communities, our planet and for our global economy. And I think that was a really powerful line for me because the every time we make a choice with what food we're consuming, we're essentially casting a vote. And I think we underestimate how far reaching the effects of each vote we make um, can be not just for our own health and well-being, but also for the health of our community and also for the health of our economy. Um, and, you know, I think it, it, it builds a bigger sense of importance um, within food as not just something we eat for fuel, but also something that has a dramatic effect on everything around us, our health, but also the health of everything around us uh, as well. And I think that's an important thing to mention. Yeah. You know, and I think that it's also maybe a good time to mention that it's like, it, that we're not like, that it's not, 
it's just a natural part of like how humans try to innovate, right? Like we go back mm-hmm. to the way it all began. The Pleasure Trap is an incredible book and I'm going to refer to it later on as we talk too, but it does a really wonderful job in a very short amount of time of summarizing like how we got here, which is like, it's just evolution in a certain way, you know? But the, so the issue is not to say like how is, the issue I think is to recognize like we're in a, we're in a pretty, big predicament right here with our health and it's time to honestly evaluate that and then seriously try to make some changes if because we have two choices essentially right we're either going to do that or we're not so um the pleasure trap talks about how you know we used to gather we were in tribes and we would travel around to find food and then when we started to figure out how to plant seeds that's when we started to realize that we we could grow food for more people and then we could and then we could stay in one place so when we could stay in one place we focused on other things staying warm you know reproducing we could feed more people and then it just grew and evolved from there and now in this kind of like i've talked about this before where it's like we it's like this hyper capitalistic like overgrowth like we we keep growing until we pop after bloating like we've gotten so comfortable that we have to try to figure out ways to like preserve the original factory settings and the the original pleasures which i want to talk about that later on yeah it's almost like a pendulum right like we start with yes small scale growing of our food and harvesting of meat and then we do everything we can to achieve maximal efficiency to feed Mm -hmm. as many people in as efficient way as possible but at at a certain point, we swing so far in that direction that we actually start to have serious trade-offs in our inner and consequences on both the mm-hmm. environment and our health and our economies. And, you know, like the system, there's so much momentum with these systems, right? Like the, the, everything we've done until now is the best way we knew how to do it and served, uh, served us a valuable purpose until now. But I think the hard part is when is coming to the realization that these systems are actually no longer, not only not serving us, but they're actually damaging us and sort of pivoting and thinking like, okay, this freight train has so much momentum. How do we start to change things? And I think it's easy to get caught up in this notion that these giant systems have so much power and money and momentum that it's hard to change. But at the end of the day, where you spend your money and what you choose to eat is actually the way that we change at an individual level. And when we add that up and sum it up, that's how the collective change happens. So I think this whole notion that it's very easy to get carried away and see how crazy things have gotten. But at the end of the day, we each have personal agency in casting our votes, which are a meaningful vote in terms of what food we want based, uh, you know, based on what food we buy. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, whenever I go to buy food, I always try and buy things that are grown in Canada. And that's my vote to say, I want food to be grown in Canada. Um, I want Canada to be more self-reliant in our food production, because I know Mm -hmm. if something's grown in Canada, it's traveled less far. It was probably grown in um, better soil instead of just these massive swaths of land that are essentially grown as quickly as possible without any really regard to the soil quality until the soil's dead and then they move on to somewhere else. And I think that's this whole notion that we just do things until they break is kind of a silly way to do things. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, we all can kind of vote. And if we take that vote seriously and have a broader context of how important that vote is, um, then I think it's going to be easier to, to, to sense more meaning in the food that we eat instead of just, mm-hmm. um, things we put in our mouths to give us fuel. 
So that's an that's an interesting point, Nikki Pop, because I was thinking of we moved from California, which is like a super agricultural mecca, where you can get like tons of different, so much different variety of produce. But we moved to to Alabama, and I have had I've struggled with like, okay, collards and sweet potatoes and pecans grow really well here, you know, and we don't have as big a variety, and so I was like, well. I guess maybe I'll eat a diet that has lots more collards, sweet potatoes and pecans in there, you know, and it's, it's interesting about, we've talked before about wanting less, you know, like having a life where you don't, you don't necessarily need to have every single exotic thing that was ever grown. I mean, if you want that fine, but like where we start to like think on a smaller, more local level, you know, like local has been one of those words that have been hijacked like natural and organic where like I had a CSA box we we started to feel the craziness of it right like I had a um one of those farmer boxes that were sent and it was like local produce or whatever but it was sent I mean it was as far up like so far up the east coast I was like well that's not exactly local but it's closer you know but you know what I mean like same country or meaning you know exactly though seriously yeah all right, let's talk about some, let's go into some of the subtopics. Um, okay. The first one that we had written down is we are what we eat. And I think this is a really powerful one. And I would even go further. It's like, we are what we eat and what we eat ate and what we eat ate also ate. And so it's, it's like, <laughs> once again, the entire food chain is kind of like packaged into this final thing that we consume, but what we're consuming um, can't be taken out of context from the environment that that thing grew within. Um, and so I think this whole basic fundamental principle that food creates the building blocks, um, and base repair elements for our bodies and the notion that food prevent, presents the nutrients that are catalysts for important bodily reactions. If we're not getting the right nutrients, the important reactions can't happen. If we're eating poor quality food, then the building blocks that we're using to repair and nourish and, um, sort of turn over the cells in our body are also going to be inferior quality. And that compounded over time can result in a body that's fairly fragile, not very resilient, and maybe very unhealthy. And so I think this just zoning in on the fact that we are what we eat and what we eat ate ad nauseum. um, And the notion that the quality of the food you consume has a huge impact on the quality of your cells and the quality of your organs and the quality of the information your body receives in order to function well. And so I I just think overall, we underestimate the importance um, of food and how the quality of our food can't be disconnected from the quality of the environment that that food was grown in. Um, Yeah, Yeah. we're going to talk, we're going to have another lesson about environment, but all all, food, we cannot also disconnect from how we eat the food, the state of mind that we're in when we prepare the food, the, the way that we go about the ceremony or the ritual, you know, like we're hardwired for ceremony and are we hurried? Are we stressed? Are we indifferent? Are we not paying attention? And I've had so many experiences where I'll just be wound up and I'll just be eating. And I won't even remember like, Oh my God, I, I made those sweet potatoes and they're delicious. And I can't remember tasting it because I was hurried or I wasn't. So I didn't. What's going on? Is it changing? Like a DJ. Oh, no, I'm gonna have to. Re- oh. <laughs> oh, no. oh, now it's recording again. Oh no! Uh, are okay, we back wait. on. We are. 
but right. but fun nerds we're having i don't think so because it's my computer has like all kind of like it's like it's having a rave on my computer screen breakdown so we're gonna we're just gonna say um we're gonna be back in five we're gonna take a, a commercial break Maybe you go find yourself an orange or a... I don't think we're going to post this anyway, so I don't know if you have to call everyone. Really? We are going well, to. Because this, this is a new recording, right? Like the first one that we did, which we finished that We Are What We Eat, we'll just, um, we'll do another one. Like this one, because this will it's be done. a separate recording, right? That's happening right now. Oh, right. That's right. Okay. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I'm going to shut down. this down and then okay. I'm going to check, I'll message you, Nikki Pop, and tell you what's okay. next. Sounds good. And then okay. I uh, I kind of put a pin in where we are um, on the script, oh, wait. so we can just pick it up. And now it seems like it's worked itself out. Like I'm not getting the little. If there's like these weird little, um, hmm. it looks like funhouse circles that just go all over my screen. But now oh, it's weird. perfect. Should all right, we just do you want to want to stop this recording, and then we will, and then we'll start a new recording, and then we'll just pick up where we left off. Yeah. So don't hang up. So I'm going to stop.